It is all too soon, just four days after Christmas, that we would consider this passage of Scripture. But we are only holding true to what has been church tradition for ages and ages, that the lectionary would disturb our peace and bring us to a consideration of what Christmas truly might be about. Uh, This is a heavy and difficult story, but you and I are familiar with what is heavy and what is difficult, are we not? We have experienced that each in our own families and our own lives. We have encountered what is difficult from time to time. Uh, Bethlehem is enamored with great romanticism. I was reflecting to myself on that uh, beautiful hymn that I enjoyed uh, humming and singing through uh, the Advent season, O little town of Bethlehem, it's in our hymnal, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. And what beautiful words those are as they coax us into thinking that that there was no disturbance whatsoever, and in fact the entirety of what was going on with Christ was something of a very protected environment. You can almost imagine that everything cooperated uh, for this to be the case. That's sort of the way our nativities are set up. Um, They are set up in order to give us the idea that everything is in order and that everyone is present, even though the Magi might have come some year, maybe even two years after the initial birth of finding Jesus in his place there. <clears throat> we have them there at the time that the shepherds are there, right? Because we want to put it all together and make it into that little vignette that reminds us of God's blessing in the manger at Christmas Day. Now, our grandson, Bobby, who has been much in our hearts and minds this past week of the events that I will share with you in just a moment, but Bobby, when Sue and I were visiting with him this past week and seated at the table, began to talk with him about the Christmas story and Uh, With that, just a suggestion that he get his nativity figures from his little Fisher-Price set and bring them to the table. He raced first to get, of course, baby Jesus, who is there in the manger, and placed baby Jesus on the table. And his mother said, and what about Mary? And he goes to get Mary out of the next room, and then he goes for the trip to get Joseph. And slowly he begins to build the nativity right there on the dinner table. What was so fascinating is that uh, he had all of the characters gathered in so close. Uh, Not only were Mary and Joseph peering into the baby Jesus' eyes, but all of the shepherds were, and the wise men were gathered close. Even the donkey and the camel were drooling on top of Jesus. They were so close. Drawn in by the idea of Christ's presence, he, he was enamored with the romantic idea of what that scene might be. <clears throat> of course, you know that uh, birth is quite different than that. Um, did I tell you that we have a new granddaughter? 
<laughs> Her name is Willa, and she was born on December the 21st. And so yesterday she was a week old. Sue is no doubt holding her in her arms right now as I speak. And it has been such a joyous celebration for this little one to be welcomed into the world and especially into our lives. She is tiny, but she is growing slowly, which is such a good sign. Now her big brother, Bobby, who is two and a half now, we realize is going to take some coaching um, in all of the enthusiasm that he has uh, for just life in particular, swinging uh, baseball bats, plastic baseball bats, and throwing balls and, and running here and there. He is going to need some coaching in how to be quiet and, and to be soft in her, her, his attention that he gives to his new baby sister. But he is interested in doing this. Bobby is, is interested in the idea that he has a baby sister. That idea is dawning on him. And he's vulnerable in the midst of that. Um, even now, you can pick up on the fact that he doesn't want to be displaced as being someone of primary importance in his mother and dad's life. But <clears throat> he also has already begun to be very defensive of the little sister that has been gifted to him by God himself. <clears throat> Sue went with our daughter Sarah uh, just a few days ago to the first pediatric appointment that Willa had. And when they entered the room, Bobby was with them, and they went in to, to sit down and to, to just begin to be there, and Bobby began to explore a few toys that were in the waiting area. But then another family came in, and they happened to have a young toddler about the age of Bobby. Well, the first thing Sue told me, she said it was so interesting that Bobby positioned himself in between Willa, our granddaughter, and the child that had come into the room and immediately spoke to that child and said, not yours, and put his hand up against Willa. Not yours, mine. As if to show his possessiveness and the, the thing that he has been given care of. You and I would do so well if we could realize how important this little message is, not for just the Christ child, but for all those who are vulnerable in the world. Meister Eckert, 14th century German theologian and mystic, was so deeply involved with this thought that he shared something that we have framed and hanging on our wall in our house. For he said, we are all meant to be mothers of God. Isn't that fascinating? He said, we are all meant to be mothers of God. For God is always needing to be born. Can't you imagine Joseph and Mary, even in this situation, maybe especially in this situation, that they had this deep sense that they not only had been given this precious gift, but it was theirs to take care of it and to protect it. And literally, trying to make sense out of it, how do you protect God? Why is it that we would even need to protect God? Have you asked yourself that question? Why is it that it would work out this way? 
one of the most precious words of this time of year that we hear repeated over and over in worship and also just in our culture of sending Christmas cards to each other is Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And we can see this because sometimes life is beautiful with things falling in place and our happiness and our joy spilling over. And we think to ourselves, and we even may say it out loud, out loud God is with us. Isn't this a wonderful, wonderful time together? But those of you who understand a deeper story will realize that sometimes we are under assault in our own lives individually and from the world around us, both by our own decisions and by the decisions of others, we are under assault. And it can immediately begin to raise questions for us. Where is God? Because we do not expect him to be present in the midst of our anguish and our worry and our fear. There's an irony in this story that has been read this morning. And that is that the the magi, the wise men, come following a star. And they follow it as best as they possibly can. But could not God have been a little bit more precise with this? So that they would not have had to go to Herod. Interesting thought. That God leads them to the general vicinity of where Jesus is. This Messiah, this new king born to the area. But not to the precise person, at least not yet, by way of the star. And so they end up at the doorsteps of Herod, this this terrible king. And I wonder when it dawned on them that maybe this wasn't going according to plan. For as they left King Herod, he shared with them to report back and they realized that this was anything but good for Jesus. You know the story as it has been shared here. Herod was a person who had a reputation for using force. It's amazing that there were any generations to follow him and to rule in that area because he was known for even putting his children to death. He was absolutely a tyrant. And he took things into his own hands, especially in regard to another king that had been born in the area. Herod sent out messengers with the news to those who were capable of extinguishing the child that he had determined by way of the conversation that he had with the Magi that the child must be no more than two years old living here in this community of Bethlehem. Now, the thought of it is horrific to us. The idea that soldiers would march into Bethlehem and kill every child, every male-born child that is two years old or younger. In fact, we magnify the effects of that in our tellings of it in other cultures, in other places 
thousands upon thousands of children must have died. But those who've studied realize that Bethlehem probably only had a thousand persons that lived in that area. At best, it may have been 20 children who died as those soldiers came in with their swords drawn and thrust them into the chests of these children who were defenseless and so vulnerable. But I ask you, just in thinking about this, does it matter how many children died on that day? Does it take a certain number of vulnerable persons who perish in order to raise your attention to it being an important matter? This is not the way God thinks. You and I must remember that as this story was communicated, it was communicated with a heart that was broken. And as Matthew talked about it, of course, what immediately came to mind was the prophet Jeremiah who was remembering back to the matriarch who was this precious Rachel, beloved wife of Jacob, who was buried in her tomb less than a half a mile, less than the distance between here and the CVS from where all of this occurred. And these words do not fall on deaf ears today, do they? As our uttering of them causes us disease. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Joseph had received word from an angel, fortunately, before all of this came down and he was able to secret Mary away and this new little baby of theirs given to their care and they headed toward Egypt which again is a great irony because Egypt was not known for being a safe place in the past. You remember the story of Moses don't you and how Pharaoh in his want to put things in order, had issued this decree that all the male children would be killed, thrown into the Nile. And of course, Moses' dear mother, who could not think of doing such, fashioned a small basket and set him afloat amidst the bulrushes there in order to preserve his life. This is the story repeated now with Jesus as they moved into very, very dangerous territory, whether they were coming from Israel or returning to it. And so it, again, should bring us to the remembrance that even in the midst of our tragic circumstances, our most difficult and fearful moments. God is with us. God is Emmanuel and has promised to be with us.
for those especially who feel vulnerable. What an encouragement it is to hear these words. But I want to put before you that not only are we to feel comforted that God is with us, but we are to be enabled. And God knows that we could do better with this. That we are to be enabled to protect the vulnerable who are in our community and in our world today. Have you taken up that banner of protecting God who is present throughout his creation? It was interesting. We tried something new with our fall festival this year, and we've come to the conclusion by the ones who came um, into our church building who would not have been here that we may repeat this again next year for we were ferrying people across to the Greek street trick-or-treat event and many people took us up on that offer. One of the persons that showed up that evening was a lady who was dressed up in costume as I remember she was dressed up like a witch and her kids were dressed up and they were going trick-or-treating across the street. In fact, they had just come back from that event and were in our fellowship hall enjoying the goodies and the food that we were providing there. And so I saw an opportunity and I introduced myself to her. And she said to me, she said, you know who I am? Well, that's not the first time that's ever happened to me. But I didn't know who she was. And she said, you know who I am? She said, y'all built a house for me. And I thought, I'm trying to put this together here. And then all of a sudden, it occurred to me, just as she was speaking her name, she said, I'm Margarita. And y'all built me a Habitat house. And I thought, God bless her. And God bless us for doing that for this person who was very vulnerable three years ago and who did not have a house to sustain her family is now in a very secure place that has been made possible by someone in fact this congregation who rose to the occasion and made for her a home you see how incredibly important this is for us to leave the vulnerable simply with our condolences is not enough. It's not enough. For God calls us to protect Godness that is throughout his creation. You and I should be on the look for all of those that are hurting for this is God's way to show up when people are hurting. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to the early Christians in Rome. And we use it often at our times of grief, at funerals. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I tell you, there is a world around us and even within us that needs to know that God is with us. Have you taken up the mantle of those who protect God, even giving your life away to do it?